number 767. Please mark that, and we'll use that later in our service time this morning. It's a certainly a great blessing that we have been given to assemble and to come together this morning. I know uh, the announcements earlier have certainly brought to bear many things to our heart and mind that's rested there for a couple of days now, and we certainly hope for very much that those who are ill and sick will feel the great blessing of God helpful to their recovery very, very soon. The lesson this morning is one entitled Reverence for God. Reverence for God. And over the course of the lesson, we'll not only try to appreciate the significance of the idea, but some biblical passages to help us appreciate the application of it. This introductory slide is one that begins like this. The word reverence, as we shall soon discover, is a very significant word in many ways in the Word of God. And in many other ways, this, the idea is there. In fact, it is a requirement if you and I are to please the God of heaven. Reverence must be something that exhibits what you and I do. And so, what is reverence? Practically, how do we make it so? Well, as you can see about the middle of that slide and on toward the bottom, there certainly does appear to be a sense in which the world in which we live is not nearly as conducive to reverence as it once was. There was a time, I suppose, when it was just a more understood way of conduct and behavior. Here are two pictures. I don't need to say a whole lot more, I suspect. Two different classrooms. Look at the top left picture. That was taken from the 1940s. At that time, I would suppose, I'm not old enough to know by personal experience, but it would seem from what the pictures and representative matters that at least one could appreciate a more critical element of respect, appreciation, and at least something connected to reverence in the behavior of students. The bottom right is a much more recent picture. Now, I hope the teacher was not in the room at the time. Be that as it may, it's fair to say, and you and I easily understand that there is a different mentality that seems to be the case today that wasn't quite so much the way as it was in days gone by. And that kind of mentality also appears to have edged its way into the church. It all touches the subject of reverence. This next slide, let me invite you to look somewhat briefly at four Old Testament scenes. And all we're going to seek to do is to reflect upon that which took place and understand the behavior of those who were involved. It all begins with Exodus chapter 3. And the scene is a familiar one to all of us. Moses was 80 years old at the time and he was tending sheep on the backside of Midian. And interestingly enough, a bush was on fire. But it was not being consumed by this fire. And Moses was aware of it, but he, it says, the text says, he thought to himself to look upon it to see it. Moses was going to walk toward where this was and look with greater care on this burning bush. God intervened. The text says some of the things you'll notice at the top. In fact, God intervened and said, Come not nigh hither. Put the shoes off thy feet, for the ground whereon thou standest is holy ground. Now in light of that scenario, ponder with me this. This was a mountainside. 
It was in essence the backside of a desert. What made the ground holy? What made this circumstance unusual? May I suggest that with this bush on fire, the angel of the Lord was present. The second member of the Godhead was there where God was made this ground holy. And Moses immediately responded by hiding his face. In fact, you may well notice, as he hid his face in verses 5 and 6, Moses was a very humble and reverent in his response. Let's look at another one. This time, jumping forward to Joshua chapter 5. This time, there was a mountain stream flowing in that land of Palestine. In fact, it was very near to Jericho. As Joshua was preparing the various features concerning the upcoming battle, he saw across the stream a man, or what he thought was a man. And Joshua entered into conversation with him and said, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And the one who spoke with Joshua said, I am come as captain of the host of the Lord. Joshua was immediately impressed. As you can see on that slide, that messenger furthermore said, Joshua, take your shoe off. You're standing on holy ground. What made the ground holy? It certainly wasn't the inside of a tabernacle. It certainly wasn't the inside of what you and I might recognize an official place of worship. But again, this member of the Godhead was there. It's interesting to reflect on both of these and highlight the fact that Joshua reacted with a great element of respect and reverence. Number three, Isaiah chapter 6. Quite a bit later in the Old Testament history, we now arrive at the point where the people of Israel found themselves shortly in light of captivity. And as Isaiah was the prophet of God making preparation making preparation to teach and to preach to the people, the God of heaven appeared to him. Some of the details are these. Isaiah saw a vision, and in this vision was a throne, and one on the throne. And the one on the throne was described as high, and his train filled the temple. Not only that, these instructions were given. These seraphims were visible. Now the seraphims were creatures that were reminders of the greatness of God and the holiness attached to Him. And these seraphims cried, Holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts. At that point, Isaiah had an appreciation. The text says that he said, Woe is me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He immediately appreciated his unworthiness. He had a great deal of respect and reverence for the things of God. Number four, the opening stanza of Ezekiel. In verses 26 to 28 of Ezekiel chapter 1, we have the following statements made, and I would wish to read these. The opening chapter of Ezekiel has some very interesting reading in it, but we'll only select those three verses. And in those verses, this is what we read. And above the firmament that was over the heads of the likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone, and upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. And I saw as the color of amber, 
as the appearance of fire round about within it, from the appearance of his loins even upward, and from the appearance of his loins even downward. I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and it had brightness round about. What Ezekiel saw may to you and me seem terribly strange, but the next verse gives us the meaning. As the appearance of a bowl that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. This thing above the firmament, this throne, and this rainbow, and the various features of fire that Ezekiel saw, what does it mean? The glory of God. How did Ezekiel react? He fell on his face. Any of these individuals that seemingly was in the presence of or connected to God responded by appreciating their unworthiness and the ultimate inferiority of them to God Himself. He is so great. He is so almighty. He is awesome. All of these portray before us the attitude and the attribute of reverence. And that attribute and that particular matter, I suppose, brings us to some definitions. I've already used the word reverence several times in the lesson. But what does it mean to be reverent? How do you and I follow through on this? Let's begin at the top. Every one of these passages we've just highlighted, and many others might be listed, they bring before us the appreciation of this attribute. Our God is to be adored. He is to be revered. He is not to be approached as a pal, as a buddy, as an associate. He is far greater than we. And we should approach Him with reverence, with respect, with a sense of awe. For that reason on the slide, notice He has every reason to be approached this way. Isn't He our loving Heavenly Father? In Luke 15, after the prodigal had left, and notice the father waited patiently, longingly yearning for him to return. And when he did, the father ran to meet him. The father was so happy and excited this wayward child had returned. God is love, isn't He? 1 John 4, 8. You might appreciate in light of all those things, let's give a definition. According to a modern dictionary... The word reverence means this. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines it as honor or respect, felt or shown. In addition to that, a profound, adoring, awed respect. Reverence. I would submit, though, that you and I are much more interested in the biblical definition than we are Merriam-Webster's. And so let's give some thought to that one. It's what's next on the slide. The concept of reverence as we've seen it. It involves great fear, great honor, and great respect. A moment ago was read Psalm 89, verse 7. That was our lesson text. Let me revisit it, and let's give some attention to it. Psalm 89, verse number 7. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. You'll notice that the very concept of reverence, the biblical definition, 
connects most carefully and most thoroughly to the concept of fear. We should fear God. I know we love Him. I know that we have a great deal of appreciation for what He has done, what He is doing, and what He can and will do. But it all begins in terms of reverence with a healthy appreciation of fear for Him. In fact, that's the very meaning that's behind the terms that are used here. In Psalm 89, verse number 7, God is greatly to be feared. Do you remember? I suppose many of us do. In your younger days, you had a healthy fear of Dad's belt, of Grandpa's belt. And so that very much made an impression upon our behavior. There are certain things we never, ever would do or say with Dad in the hearing distance or with Grandpa there because we knew exactly what would happen. I suppose my thoughts concerning that perhaps are shared by many others also here. But may I say, that kind of fear prompted very much our respect for our parents. At the time, we never thrilled at the thought of being spanked. But haven't we come to appreciate they loved us enough to do it? And they had enough concern and care for us that they would go to those links to help make sure our behavior was what it ought to be. That concept, look at how it appears in a couple of passages. Who should we reverence, or may I say, who should we fear? Psalm 112, verse number 1 says, Fear God. The name God, in fact, the very name, Psalm 86, ought to be reverenced. How do you and I react when we give thought to the name of God? I know it troubles Denise and myself greatly, and I'm sure it does each within the hearing of my voice. When you hear the profane way, sometimes the name of God is referenced in our world when in fact the name of God should be revered. It ought to be appreciated with an incredible amount of respect. Not only is that true of His name, it's true of His person. It's true of who He is. God is to be revered and the psalmist reminded us of it. Back in that text of Psalm 89, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. That should be a verse that has a great deal of meaning for you and I as we think about the assemblies and what happens as a part of them. As you and I close that slide then, let's make a few observations. When it comes to the assembly of the saints, I realize that you and I as faithful Christians strive to adore God all the time. It doesn't have to be in an assembly such as this. But nonetheless, there's something very special, something very honorable, something intensely meaningful about the assemblies. But isn't it true that it's entirely possible to look upon those assemblies, perhaps as I have outlined it at the bottom of that slide. We get up on Sunday morning, for example, and we eat breakfast, something we do all the other six days of the week. We perhaps prepare ourselves and get ready, not unlike what we do the other days of a week. We get in a car, which we ride in all the other days of a week. We go to a destination. Well, when we get there, we enter a building. We enter buildings every day of the week. It might not be this one. And we sit on a pew. 
Well, we sit down at work, perhaps, or in the other avenues of life. And when we're here, I see faces of other people, but yet we see people every day. It's easy enough, I suppose, then, to suppose what is really that different about the assemblies. It seems as if there are many things common to that occurrence as would be true of all the other days. But there's where we must be very mindful and very careful. In fact, extraordinarily so. Because may I read the verse again. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. The services of the church are not like going to the grocery store. It's not like going to get a haircut. It's not like going to work. It is not like anything else we'll do all week long. In this place, there is a particular set of activities ordained by God Himself. And the whole purpose of the assembly is to honor and adore Him. And in so doing, that which is done here and the way it's done will reflect upon our love for Him and our appreciation of Him. And it'll be guided by our reverence for God. That was the title of the lesson. And therefore, these assemblies are so intensely special. And they're so meaningful in that they bolster our faith, they fortify our faith, and they provide us with a necessary ingredient to live connected and faithfully to God. Amazing, isn't it, then, that we can use those ideas and develop several points. What I chose to do at this point was look at every single Bible verse that uses the word reverence. How does it use it? In what context is it used? And how might we make application of those ideas to help us? We'll begin in Leviticus. In Leviticus 19 verse 30, and this is repeated practically verbatim in Leviticus 26.2, we find this statement. The God of heaven speaking through Moses to the children of Israel said, Thou shalt keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. In that verse, that's all he said. Thou shalt, this was a commandment, Thou shalt keep my Sabbaths. We well remember the Sabbath was Saturday. It was that particular day on which God directed and ordered the children of Israel several things to do relative to their service to God in worship. There were certain sacrifices that had to be offered. There were particulars of that day that were to be done. God said, Thou shalt keep my Sabbaths. Make sure you keep them. You observe them. You do what's been commanded that day. But then he added this phrase, and reverence my sanctuary. Why did God include that, I wonder? To reverence my sanctuary. You'll notice on the slide, what's meant by the phrase, by the word sanctuary? I know there are occasions today when there are those who will employ that word, referring to an auditorium where worship takes place like this. Based on the Bible, I'm not so sure that's a wise usage of that word. This is not a sanctuary in the same way that the tabernacle had a sanctuary. It isn't the same. There, They had to worship that tabernacle. You couldn't worship anywhere else. Today, this building isn't sacred. 
We could worship out in the rector center. We could worship in the parking lot. Anywhere an assembly of the saints takes place, Jesus said in John 4, 23, that worship can take place. So I'm not so sure that connection is the same. But it doesn't remove what Leviticus 19 said. To those people, God said, reverence my sanctuary. Notice again, they were to respect critically what took place there. The idea was all those things connected to what God had said, you respect them. You do not treat them as common. The people of Israel had an interesting challenge, didn't they? To make sure to properly discern what was common and what was, shall we say, extraordinary. If they didn't make that proper distinction, they erred. In fact, they sinned. Notice one more thing about that. The reason for this was God said, I am the Lord. When you and I then give thought to the assemblies like what we have done this morning, do I approach it as just something common like the other activities of the week? Like as I mentioned earlier, the grocery store, the barber shop, whatever the case might be, do I in fact invest as much thought and effort with respect to this as I do them? If so, I am making a mistake. There isn't enough reverence in my approach to these assemblies. But you'll know one more thing. The reason was, I am the Lord. Who is it that is being adored and revered by these assemblies? It isn't any of us. What's the definition of worship? Worship means acts of reverence directed to God. We are adoring Him. We're revering Him. That, of course, is the main reason why we are very careful to prescribe worship the way He says. No band up here, no mechanical instruments, because God says, I don't want that. Furthermore, nothing else about these other features that the human family might inject, that's not our interest. We really couldn't care less what the human family might want. It's what God has said He wants. Look at the next application. What other context has that word reverence appeared? It's the very one that is our lesson text today. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. You and I, in our reverence for God, let's make this development. Do you and I fear Him? May we be honest with ourselves. Do you fear Him? If the God of heaven were to appear before us, there's not a doubt we'd be afraid. Do you remember how Jesus appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration? As bright as the sun, it would be so glowingly bright, we would instantly appreciate the greatness of His power and the majesty of His person. We'd fear Him. But that means we need to learn to fear Him even though He may not be standing physically before us. We need to have such fear for His Word that He is going to do what He says He's going to do. Every bit of it. May we fear Him. That leads me to note this. Have you ever given thought that today, and this is in some ways rather scary, have you ever encountered an individual who refers to himself as a reverend? There are some preachers, and a part of their title or name will include the word reverend. That word appears one time in all the Bible, once. And it refers to God in that one verse. No man ought to call himself a reverend. 
And it's a bit frightening to consider them standing before in His presence having worn that name. God is the one that's reverend, Psalm 111 verse 9. And as you and I reflect upon His greatness, let's close that slide this way. Isn't it amazing how that there are authority figures on earth and that modifies our behavior rather interestingly. Have you ever pulled up to a four-way stop and there's a policeman at one of the other three legs? You're sure to come to a stop. You don't just roll to a brief slowdown. Why do we change our behavior perhaps? We know what the policeman can do. That person can write me a citation. And under a serious enough matters, my license could be revoked. I know exactly what can happen. If we alter our behavior in that way, in the presence of a policeman, or in the presence of a different authority figure, what should we do as we reflect upon being in the presence of God? Should that not modify our behavior because we fear Him, we reverence Him? We wish to behave only in the way that He would approve. Those usages so far bring us to another one. Number three, there are some other contexts in which this word reverence appears. Let's start in 2 Samuel 9, verse number 6. 2 Samuel 9, verse 6. The scene involves David, and it involves Mephibosheth. But the behavior is very intriguing. I'd like to ask you to listen as I read that particular verse. Only one verse will be needed. 2 Samuel 9, verse number 6. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. The text says, at least in the King James translation, that Mephibosheth had an air of reverence in his behavior toward David. What did that mean for the behavior of Mephibosheth? He fell on his face. And he said, Behold thy servant. Mephibosheth knew he wasn't in the business of telling David what to do. He was in the business of letting David tell him what to do. I'm your servant. When we come together in the assemblies, for example, is our heart such that we are attuned and ready for God to instruct us? The time of assembly is not merely a social matter. I know that we enjoy seeing one another and learning how one another are doing and appreciating some of the occurrences in the lives of one another, but our primary reason for coming together is not that. We can do that by picking up the phone. We can do that by using a cell phone. We can do that in other ways. And as important and critical as that is, it is far better and far more meaningful to remember our position here is in reverence to God in humble lowliness, recognizing He's the great one and we are not. Another example of that in 1 Kings one thirty one is Bathsheba. Here, when she came before David, she fell on her face. She did obeisance to him. She reverenced him as the king. You can see a lot of similarity between those two. Do they not prompt us to some of these ways? In Esther chapter 3, you may recall that there we read about a man named Mordecai. And we read about a man named Haman and everybody else reverenced Haman. 
Mordecai did not. He didn't bow before him. He knew that was, of course, against the law of God. So one more time, you'll notice the visible character. May I ask that each of us keep in mind then that when we are in service to God, let our reverence be something that's readily visible. That is to say, our behavior indicates the seriousness of our mentality. It indicates that which is the purpose why we've come. The assemblies are that significant, aren't they? Look at yet another example. Jesus used this word reverence several times as He told the parable recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He said that those wicked husbandmen, surely they'll reverence my son, the owner said. Now that word reverence meant to respect, to honor, to fear. And you and I remember they didn't. They put the son to death. And the Lord asked the question, what will the owner do to those wicked husbandmen? He'll come and destroy them. If you and I ever allow the concept of reverence to slide from us, if we lose our fear of God, there are no limits to what we'll do. No limits to what behavior we'll be willing to do because that fear checks what we will and will not do. In the same way, it checked how we'd react to our father or grandfather. And so it is, let's close that slide like this. It's that concept that reappears here. In Hebrews 12, verse number 9, we are said there to reverence our heavenly fathers. A son or a daughter will respect what dad says. Because again, what dad can and may well do if you don't respect it. Well, if we honor our heavenly fathers, ought we not honor God our Father? Should we not reverence Him in a similar and even greater fashion? One last thing then is one final application. I would invite you to read Hebrews 12, verse 28 with me. That word appears one last time. The application to us is very stirring. Hebrews 12, verse number 28. The text reads, Wherefore we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Now that isn't just an Old Testament application. That's, of course, a New Testament one. That's for you and me today. Let us have grace that we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. As you and I think about applying that, certainly several things come quickly to mind. As we make these applications and apply them to ourselves, notice how they'll govern our approach to the assemblies and how sweet and special they are. The first thing that's obvious need to be here. If God is reverenced there and I'm not there, then I'm not adoring Him, I'm not revering Him. So we're always excited and thoughtful about the significance of the assemblies. In the same way in the Old Testament, when they chose not to go to the tabernacle, they in fact met the, the judgment of God because of it. We're told that in Numbers chapter 9. And so today, when we fail to assemble when we could, that again is a reflection on the fact that we have no interest. We have chosen to purposefully not revere God. But not only that, look at the further development. It defines the way that we, of course, conduct ourselves. We'll prepare accordingly. 
so that while we're there, we can do that which God would find pleasing. Dressing appropriately, involving myself in those activities that are there. At the bottom of that slide, you'll note several other things, of course, in our modern day that sometimes offer elements in challenge. Some individuals perhaps check the cell phone, text. They maybe do other activities, cut their fingernails or otherwise. I can do that somewhere else. This is the place to revere God, to have reverence for Him. It isn't the place to have a sandwich. That can be done at another place in time. In fact, the church at Corinth was somewhat battling those ideas. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty two, have you not houses to eat and drink in? There's a different time and place, you see, for behaviors like that. You and I have a special meal here. It's primarily spiritual. It's not primarily physical. And we thrill at the thought of participating in it. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. That text of Psalm 89.7 reminds us that certainly as we conduct ourselves every day in a way to please God, there's something very special, very honorable, very reverential about the assemblies, and we thrill at the thought of respecting God and revering Him in them. Let's close our lesson then like this. It's the conclusion slide, admittedly, but the two verses we've read that seemingly speak so loudly. First of all, Psalm 89, 7, and then more recently, Hebrews 12, 28. Our desire to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. I hope each of us have been reminded of proper attitude of reverence for God. As you think about that consideration and each of us examine ourselves, maybe you found something in your life that isn't what God would have it to be. As a wayward child of God, don't remain in that condition. Come back to your first love. The God of heaven wishes for you to come back just as He did that prodigal son. If today we could pray to God on your behalf, we'd be our desire. Simply confess those matters, repent of them. He's promised to forgive you. If though you have never become a Christian, you have never yet entered the watery grave of baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, today would be a very marvelous day in which you from this day forward could worship God with reverence. That plan of salvation demands that you believe in Jesus, believing the gospel, repenting of your sins, confessing His name, and being baptized. Today, if you would wish to in fact involve yourself in that, it is the gospel plan of salvation. It is an eternity-changing thing. Your life at this point is such that you're a child of the devil, but following baptism, you're a child of the Son of God. You're a member of the church, the ecclesia, and as such, you too can revere God and worship Him acceptably. Today, if we could be of assistance in any way, we would invite you to come, even as does the Lord, while together we stand and while we sing.